Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Really glad to have this young lady on. She's a former U.S. representative from Hawaii, was a Democrat. It's Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi, how are you? Good to see you. I'm good, Joe. It's great to see you, too. I've got to ask you, um, what's it like to be the queen of the world? And you were, when, when you came out, as a, <laughs> you were a front-running Democrat, you're a military veteran, you're an all-American young lady, and the Democrats said, wow, she's the heir apparent, she's the future, and everybody but everybody agreed with that. Does it get to your head? Do you think to yourself, wow, this is really cool? No. (laughs) (laughs) Were were you skeptical from from moment one? Yeah, I was skeptical from moment one. Like, why why are you asking me to do this? Why is, you know, Vogue magazine calling me? This is very strange. I don't I don't know anything about this, uh, this world or, or what's drawing this attention. Uh, but every one of every one of those opportunities that's come my way, I have uh, done my best to take advantage, to use platforms to be able to advance the interests of whether it's my constituents in Hawaii, uh, the people of this country, or a lot of the issues that that I've been dedicating my life to working towards. When when they pat you in the back and say, "Hey, wink, wink, nod, nod," you're our 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 new face of our party and, and of our movement. Do they also say, now we, we, we want you to do this, we want you to say that, we want you to vote this way? Do they start getting your ear on all the decisions that you have to make for your constituents? Uh, no, I think there there was probably some unspoken expectation, but nothing ever explicit. And I think that's where, uh, you know, as very quickly as I started to do my work in Congress, uh, they realized that I was not going to be someone who would accept those kinds of messages or demands or expectations. Uh, and that I was going to remain the same independent-minded person I've always been. Go to TulsiGabbard.com, of course, former U.S. representative from the great state of Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. Thanks for, for taking the time. As you're in that in that office, as you, you make that move to Washington, which is a world away from Hawaii, you know, geographically and, and philosophically, did you notice that it wasn't what you thought it would be immediately? You know, I uh, had the opportunity to work in Washington for a couple of years as a legislative aide for one of Hawaii's then U.S. Senators, Daniel Akaka. He was a World War II veteran, a lifelong public school teacher, and just a great, great, kind man. Uh, He was the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee in the Senate. And and so I worked with him uh, to support him in those efforts uh, between my two Middle East deployments and got a behind-the-scenes look at the machinations of the quote-unquote swamp of, of permanent Washington. And uh, so when I went back as a member of the House of Representatives, I feel like I, I went in maybe with a little bit of an advantage from people who'd never worked in and around Washington before. Um, and, and so it was definitely not, I, w- I was coming in with very clear eyes about the different uh, peer pressures and power pressures uh, that, that uh, are real still. It's uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Go to TulsiGabbard.com. Is that where they can find your new podcast? I know you're doing a show now. Uh, can they go there and find out where to, where to go listen? Yes. Go to TulsiGabbard.com. All of the links are there to the podcast. Uh, I've also got a Substack page. You can get the podcast on YouTube or Rumble and anywhere where you prefer to listen to your podcasts. Uh, comes out every Tuesday, and I'm taking on uh, a lot of the issues that I brought up in my statement announcing I'm leaving the Democratic Party and using this podcast as a way to be able to dive deeper into these issues, share my views, perspectives, and experiences that has driven me to hold the positions that I do, and then also bringing on uh, guests who, who have their own experience and perspective to share on the topic as well. I want to get into your announcement full-throated in a moment, but, but I've got to ask you this, and I hope you take it as the compliment that I mean it. Um, your demeanor 
and your your sensibility, the way that you seem to stop and think before you speak, and what you say really has meaning is so different than what I'm used to out of Washington. Now, there are a few there that do the same thing, but they've got a different demeanor and a different sort of tone of voice than you do. Um, were, you, were you fearful at all? And again, you don't seem like a fearful person. Don't get me wrong. But were yeah. you fearful that you weren't in there yelling and screaming and pulling your hair out and, and lighting people up and finding a camera and a microphone every time you could to say whatever the, the cause of the day was? You seem to be very, very well grounded. Um, did, did, were you fearful that that demeanor would at all not work with Washington? No, that's, it's funny that you asked that question and I will take it as a compliment Good. in the way it's intended. Good. Um, it's funny you asked that it, it never actually crossed my mind. Uh, I've, I've always been very comfortable with, with who I am and recognize my own strengths and weaknesses. You know, communication is everything. Being able to communicate clearly what I'm trying to convey is always what I've sought out to do and always try to do better. Uh, but I, I, you know, when I sit at home and I watch the people screaming and yelling, their hair is on fire, yeah. pounding the podium, like that doesn't do anything for me. Uh, and so it certainly has never been anything I've tried to change in myself to be more like other people. What I know is that whether you're someone who's screaming and yelling and your hair is on fire, or you're someone uh, more closer to my demeanor, as long as you speak from your heart, then you'll be able to connect with people. As long as you are who you are and you're not trying to pretend to be someone that you're not, then you'll, you'll be able to connect with people, which is exactly what, you know, working in public office in the political sphere and frankly, even in, in what you do, Joe, um, that, that is where there's opportunity to learn and to grow and to affect change. Well, I think every once in a while we get wound up as human beings. And, yeah, and that's, and I that's, do too, every I, now and then. I don't believe you, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll, we'll find out in your podcast when people check it out on Tuesdays, go to TulsiGabbard.com. But, but what I do find is that when I do get wound up, people are like, whoa. That really hit them a different way because generally yeah. speaking, I want to communicate. I want to entertain. I want to make people laugh or think or, or get involved. And I think that you're the same way. When you decided yeah. to run for president, people actually found out that that was really who you were. And I think you stood out. You were the, you were the most Googled person for like weeks after the first yeah. uh, um, debate. Then they started excluding you from the debate because they were afraid of you. But as Kamala Harris is calling Joe Biden her future president and she's the VP, a racist to all of the world, you were saying, wait a second. I want to focus on this. This is what it's important to to the American people. That's why they looked you up. And again, that demeanor was you were almost Teflon. And immediately you became a Russian spy or something in the minds of the Democrats because you didn't get in line and say, look, I've got to back Biden or I've got to back Harris. I've got to back, you know, fill in the blank person that they say I should back. Were you blindsided by that? Did you know they would get that nasty? I had a feeling because I had experienced some of it already before. Really? Uh, what, what, I didn't, what I didn't fully anticipate, Joe, was how closely they would be colluding with the mainstream media, the big for-profit corporate media, and how very deliberate their attempts would be to uh, you know, put, put me over in the corner and silence or, or actually, but at a certain point, there was a full-on media blackout where they just didn't cover my campaign at all. It was as though wow. I wasn't even running. They didn't include me in lists of people who were still running for president. And, and that was the thing that caught me off guard. I thought, hey, you know, uh, running for president is a tough thing. The odds of winning are low for anyone. But my running for president would at least give me as, as equal an opportunity as any other person running to present to the American people my platform and why I'm asking to serve them as their president and commander in chief. Uh, 
that that fantasy that I had was shot down yeah. literally on the day that I announced my candidacy when um, we knew NBC News was going to do some kind of conflated, uh, you know, fiction fictional story about how I I'm, you know, liked by the Russians, which is the line they use for anybody and everybody right. that they don't like. Right. And so instead of running the story on whatever day they said they were going to run it, they saw my announcement uh, speech was planned for a specific day. They bumped it up, released this story as I was on the stage announcing my candidacy. And so that was the first sign, followed by many, many others uh, of just how, again, the media, people talk about interference in our elections, but they never talk about the most uh, guilty culprits in that interference and it is the big for-profit corporate media working with big tech social media and the political powers that be, I experienced it from the Democrat Party and the national level, to sequester and limit who voters are exposed to. So exactly you think, right. okay, every person has the right to cast our vote. That is the way we can affect change in this country. It is critical. It's why I'm campaigning for the next three weeks to get people out to the polls to vote for some great leaders and great Americans. But what are voters supposed to do when the political party power elite are working with big tech and corporate media to say, okay, well, if there's, if you have 10 options as a voter, we only want you to notice these three and here's what we want you to know about them. And we don't want you to know about the others. And if you look them up, we're going to make sure there's a whole lot of negative stuff. Uh, a lot of it, which is not even true so that you won't be even tempted to go uh, to, to go past or around the people that we want you to know of. And that's exactly why when I questioned Kamala Harris on that debate stage, my shock was, number one, she was so unprepared, like right. she never expected anyone to question her record. But number two, why didn't anyone question her record? Why didn't a reporter at any level say, hey, here, you're saying you want to be the prosecutor president. Here's the record that you're standing on. How do you account for that? Just a simple question like that was never asked. And it's because of what I'm talking about. They already made their decision of who right. they liked, who they didn't like, and how dare Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, you know, raise these issues to Kamala Harris about her record. And the world saw her answers. Well, I love, your, thereof. I love the backbone that the world saw that night in you. And, and, uh, and they kept on excluding you from debates. And you're right. Every single media friendly person at Tulsi Gabbard, suddenly the same exact people were saying almost as if written the same exact lines about who you were and, and why right. you should be ignored and why you were bad and why Putin loved you. And you got you went to his wedding or something. You know, the, the whole thing was just so ridiculous. It's it, uh, very comparable, I think, to Donald Trump. I've interviewed him like 12 times now. And we've got a good relationship. I, but one of the first interviews I ever had with him, I said, what were you thinking? You know, you made all this money for NBC on the The Apprentice. You're a billionaire that everybody wanted to, your money from. Yet, when you ran for president, did you really think they would just love you still? He said, "Yeah, I did. I thought they were my friends." And and I I get the feeling you're a trusting person like I am. I'll trust you until I shouldn't. And I think right. immediately you found out. A, they're not they're not questioning Kamala Harris, so she's been she's gotten the tap. She's going to be somebody big. Uh, nobody was calling out Joe Biden on his uh, obvious uh, cognitive issues and his history as a racist in this country, and, and and you just watched them go. And you thought you really thought it was an even game when you walked in, kind of like Trump. He, he he thought, hey, I've got these friends for thirty years. Why would they turn on me? And every single one did. Is that a good comparison yeah. or no? I think that's very fair. Uh, you know, they they show their true colors. Uh, through these political campaigns. And I think this is where 
you know, the, this culture of fear is, has gotten so bad because they perpetuate this response that if you dare to step outside the lines, if you dare to challenge their power, which I think is, is the thing in common, right? They saw yes. Trump as a threat. Uh, they saw me as a threat. And so the, their way of dealing with that, rather than doing it in the American way, where you have a debate in our open marketplace of ideas and let our ideas, let voters be exposed to their ideas and, and make the decision based on that comparison. They don't want to allow any of that to happen. And so they resort immediately to smear tactics, character assassination, spreading lies, and, uh, and, and trying to, to plant that seed of doubt so that whatever, whatever you say, uh, people will kind of think for a minute, like, oh, I don't really know much about her, right. but there's something. There's something well, it's there. A, well, it's and, a feather and the in sad your cap. part is it works. Wait, it it's, works. A, it's a feather in your cap because they were scared to death of you. And I think that's a very good thing. You know, a couple of years later, hopefully you see it that way. Um, at, at the end of the day, you really did threaten the machinery of the Democrat Party because you love America and because you wouldn't fit into yeah. a, a box for them. And I think that that's really, really impressive. It's Tulsi Gabbard. Go to TulsiGabbard.com. She's got a new show, the Tulsi Gabbard Show, every Tuesday. Go to the website, find out where you can go and listen to it, watch it on YouTube, on Rumble, and, and several other sources. All right, so I've got a really good friend. His name is Nico LaHood. He was the DA here in San Antonio, Texas, in Bear County, Texas. And he was a Democrat lifelong, blue dog Democrat, and he and I are best friends. And, and I'm a conservative through and through. But he was a conservative Democrat, and he was somebody who really did weigh every situation by what was presented. And let's take that, these facts, put them together, and see if this person's guilty or innocent or whatever as the DA. He decided to walk away as well. He said the Democrat Party left him a long time ago and left his father and his mother and everybody historically who voted Democrat. And I get the feeling that's exactly what happened to you. Um, but I guess the first question about your announcement the other day has to be, Tulsi, why were you ever a Democrat? What did you think the party was? Well, Joe, when I joined the Democratic Party, it was 2002. I was in Hawaii, 21 years old, not not attached politically or, or right. affiliated. I never really thought about, you know, oh, well, which party am I supposed to be a part of before then? But I was running for state house and I had to answer that question on the forum. I had to fill it out in order to file my election papers. And so I really did start to think about uh, where I felt most at home or most aligned and what I saw then was was a party inspired by the vision of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, you know, uh, of, of each of us as Americans being judged based on the content of our character, not the color of our skin. I was inspired by President Kennedy. I was inspired by leaders both in Hawaii and across the country who were committed to fighting for working people. Uh, the everyday American who's struggling and dealing with dealing with a whole host of challenges, uh, a party that that represented a traditional kind of liberalism, uh, liberalist principles of individual freedom, civil, li civil liberties, a government of, by, and for the people. Right. And that was, that was the big tent inclusive party that I joined. Fast forward 20 years later, and, and much more so over the last few years, uh, that party is no longer recognizable. Today's Democrat Party has been taken over and completely controlled by these uh, radical so-called woke ideologues who are essentially... They're fanatics that if you don't, if you don't agree with them on every issue and that's not even good enough, if you're not out there marching and protesting with your bullhorn and screaming and yelling and shouting, anything short of that, you're not good enough. You are not welcome. And they will seek to undermine your freedom of speech and cancel and smear you. And, you know, a party that is 
a party that is undermining our fundamental God-given rights and freedoms enshrined in our Constitution, and doing so because they're in power with the force of law, the Department of Justice, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, all of these institutions behind them, which they are weaponizing against their political opponents, that is unacceptable. Yeah. And for me, I, I could no longer have that letter D next to my name and be associated with any of that. That's it for part one of my special interview with former U.S. representative, former candidate for United States president, Tulsi Gabbard. Part two tomorrow. We're back after this in the Joe Pag Show. Joe Pags. Great to have you. Pleasure to talk to former U.S. Representative Tulsi Gabbard. We will have part two tomorrow. Yes, I do bring up the fact that Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, and, and John F. Kennedy would both be conservatives in this day and age, at least financially for Kennedy. And uh, MLK, I th- he never said, I'm a Republican. And I don't think he ever said he was a Democrat. But uh, certainly by his actions, by his words, by what he wanted, he wasn't some woke guy. He wasn't some equity guy. He was an equal opportunity guy. And he was a reverend. He was a guy who believed in the promises made by the founders, and he just wanted them to come through and actually provide the promises that were made. Um, he would have been a, a staunch conservative today, without a doubt. We do get into that as we continue the conversation. And also, I ask you very directly, listen, why are you campaigning for Carrie Lake? I love Carrie Lake, and she's a, a staunch conservative, but Tulsi Gabbard is somebody who just left the Democrat Party, is now an independent, and for her to go and do that stump that she did last year, she went and did a speech. For, for Carrie Lake, that tells me a lot. So whether she says she's a righty or a conservative or has a label or not, the actions, I think, do show exactly what she wants for this country. And what she wants is a, a Congress that can keep this guy's radical agenda in check. So part two tomorrow, I appreciate you stopping by. I will post part one tonight if you missed any part of it over on Rumble. So make sure you go look for that. 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pegg Show.